girl from Ipanema. Do, 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 do. She's struggling with the blanket that keeps the cold air in so we don't die. <laughs> my God, I just, oh my God, that was so good. <laughs> I'm so wonky right now. Everybody's gonna be like, what is wrong with you? Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I wanna be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hello! <laughs> Anytime a vehicle makes a noise, you talk to it. Well, people are saying hello. I, yes, uh, absolutely. That's what they're doing. Oh, my God. Yeah, girl. This ice pack is everything. Should we, like, start this podcast? I suppose. Hey, everybody. Welcome to yet another week of the stories we tell about women here on Good Witches. Bad Bitches. With your hosts, Deanna. And Hannah. But don't. Do we sound professional? <laughs> Or something. Or just weird. Mm -hmm. I'm in a weird mood today, everybody. What else is new? But I'm pretty hungover. <laughs> Honesty is key. Because, and I'm drinking coffee, and I'm drinking water, mm -hmm. and I ate food, and I took ibuprofen, and I have an ice pack. But I'm hungover because last night I went out and I saw Mamma Mia 2, which I worked on, and my name was in the credits mm, for the mm, first mm. time on any project that I've worked on, and I've worked on plenty. Yep. Uh, what was the credit for? New York Casting Assistant. Fuck yeah. Zazao. And so my cohort, Caroline, who is the casting associate with me, um, we drank some champagne, and then we drank some rosé, and then we drank some more rosé, <laughs> and we did not have dinner but I did have dinner later. I had dinner at 1230. <laughs> <laughs> In the morning. <laughs> so that's why. And, you know, I'm just getting older. And I also am not drinking very, very often these days. So yeah. six glasses of wine. <laughs> it's do a lot. It. It's a lot. It's well-deserved, though. Also, like the bubbly. Yeah, your assume... champagne gets you drunk faster. I yeah. don't really know how the chemistry of that works i find that i feel weirder a morning after drinking too much champagne or bubbly alcoholic beverages and it was good hello That's all um that matters. i got vove clico because we were celebrating and, and the movie was delightful i can't wait to see it it's a fluffy fluffy wonderful little movie with an amazing cast, if I do say so myself. And ABBA songs. And ABBA, like, who doesn't love ABBA? Yeah. You, if you don't love ABBA, then you have no soul. <laughs> because it's, the, that music was written to be 100% catchy, fun. Yeah. And Lily James is a wonderful singer. I had no idea. What did we? Did she sing in Cinderella? I never saw she that. She may but... have sung in Cinderella. She also did a little bit of singing in Baby Driver. Mm -hmm, mm hmm And so... But I didn't know she was, like, a singer. A singer, singer. And she sounds great in that movie. Yeah. I was like, all right. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, it's great. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. Meow. Meow, meow, meow. But that's why I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> so please forgive Deanna My today. weird energy. Mm-hmm. We're drinking coffee. We'll get through it. We'll, we'll make it through. Yeah. Holding. Hi, Hannah. Hi. What's up? Oh, not much. Our world is imploding. Our world is imploding bit. a little bit. Our uh, our president is probably a w traitor, knowing or unknowing uh, Russian agent, basically. Yeah. He is definitely. Uh, I saw this really great article mm -hmm. that was like, he's literally behaving as if Putin is his handler. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what happens with spies and their handlers. That's their interaction. That's their behavior. And I'm like, oh, good. Oh, great. Well, I don't know why anyone should be surprised by that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the, all the evidence has been pointing to something of that nature for a long time now. <laughs> and what's crazy is that 
it's just like Trump keeps pushing the boundary of what can I get away with? And people keep letting and him. And people keep letting him. So that's why he keep he keeps doing more and more insane behavior and and saying shit and there was a great cartoon I saw because you know that quote about him saying he could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and people would still support him. Mm-hmm. There was one, it was him holding Putin's hand. It's a cartoon. And he was shooting Uncle Sam oh, on Fifth Avenue. Boy. And they were like, this is who he shot. Oh. Cringe-worthy, right? It is, but at the same time, it's not unbelievable to think that he would be forgiven for that because I and I, I don't know what it is about PP tape. Him. Oh my god. <laughs> you mean that people will forgive? Yeah. I was ra- I was ranting this morning to Ben that um I listened to one one of the recent episodes of The Dollop is about Andrew Jackson and it's super long cuz The Dollop can be super long sometimes. Yeah. And <clears throat> it was like taking them a while to get to the point because it was like a 2-hour episode and I Listen to it in fits and starts, but by the end, I was like, oh, this episode is great and very important because Andrew Jackson is Trump's favorite president, and Andrew Jackson, too, was a real piece of shit. Great. Yeah, he just, like, it was, it, he was a populist president in the same way, and, like, huh. people liked him because he was uneducated and it was again it was like about the elites and intellectualism and and people voting for someone like them fucking yeah. stupid like them although yeah. trump is it, the the difference is that like andrew jackson was a, like a hick from tennessee and so but and and trump is just he's rich new york white trash so that's the difference yeah Anyway, it was a very good episode, and Andrew Jackson sucks, and it, it and killed a lot of Native Americans for no reason. <laughs> Everything that we unearth about various American presidents or American history just makes me sad, <laughs> because it's like... We never, we just didn't learn the whole truth about so much of this stuff. Right. And it's really we frustrating. Still no, of course. Like, you and I, every time we do this this podcast... I, I learned something new and from a, from a perspective that I didn't learn it in school. And, you know, it just kind of, it, it has made me rethink a lot of things. Yeah. And I didn't anticipate that when we first started this. Like, I was like, oh, we'll learn about cool women and that'll be really nice because shit sucks and we need a reminder that, you know, that there are... I don't know, that there are stories about women doing awesome things in the world. And I didn't... And we are getting that. And we are getting that, but we're getting a lot more than that, and I I just didn't anticipate it. Right. So it's been really fascinating. Speaking yeah. of, um, like, for instance, last week we talked about the On This Day in History, um, all the crazy shit that, was, that happened on July 18th. Yeah. Throughout the, you know, the centuries. And then July 18th, this year, was, like, just as fucked up in in its own new Trumpian way. Mm-hmm. Because on the 16th, Trump did a, like, what was it, a conference? No, what was it? It was the summit in Helsinki with Putin. And, and he basically committed treason. Yeah. And... <laughs> The 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 what's funny is the the technicality that people are getting f- hung up on, and it's just outdated language. It's just treason is technically it's like a country we're at war with, but like we don't mm. actively we haven't actively gone to war with a nation in a while. Yeah, like we invaded Afghanistan and yep. we invaded Iraq. Yep. But we weren't at war with them. Right. We were at war. It was. It's a war on terror or whatever. Mm, whatever. We created, but it's fine. Um, it's. I mean, it's not. But anyway, so, but like we're not at war with Russia, but Russia is certainly not our friend, politically speaking. No. Because Putin is a fucking dickbag. He's a murderer. He's evil. He, he is, is completely evil. Evil. And I love that. A video we watched just this morning about Fox News's coverage of like 
Obama. how Obama handled Putin. And they're like, <laughs> he slapped on Putin. Those Russians, they're evil. They're trying to influence our elections. They're doing this. They're doing that. And what's Obama doing? Obama He's cozying up to him. Like, yeah. How you feel now, Fox News? Oh, you don't care because you suck? Great. Yeah. Well, that's- Now you're just literally- Right-wing propaganda? Yeah, Great. that's the thing about the propaganda machine is it's like they're do- the, the propaganda is for the purpose of making people, you know, appreciate the, the right, the super far right. It's not about actually being right, you <laughs> <Correct>. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, which, though, did you see the speech that Obama gave? When? In South Africa for Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday. No, I didn't. We're going to – well, I didn't actually – I was reading the transcript of it and it is – oh, God, I just love that man so much. I miss him. He was there to like commemorate the opening of – oh, <sighs> shit, I don't remember what the opening was. It was something that his half-sister was doing. So he was in Africa and then he gave a speech for mm. Mandela's birthday and oh. – God. It's so wonderful, and he still has so much class because he he still he won't call out Donald Trump by name ever, but he is able to kind of speak eloquently and articulately about the scary times that we're living in. Yeah, I well because I think anybody who is actually looking at, at this as you know as objectively um, as a lot of people are, I think recognize the parallels between other scary times in history mm-hmm. and what's happening now. Mm-hmm. If you're not tuned no. into the propaganda machine, <laughs> then you're then you you're f- afraid. Right. And so I think it's really smart for him to be, you know, commenting more on the larger the larger issues that we're facing because right. Trump is Trump is a small uh fish in that pond, really. Yeah. I mean, if he's being controlled by Russia, which he <laughs> which very he, obviously which is, is at this point, you know, like he's a problem, but he's not the mastermind of that problem. You know what I mean? Trump is not the mastermind of anything. <laughs> exactly. Trump, Trump does not have the intelligence to mastermind shit. Exactly. Um, although he would love to think so. Um, There's a reason Mein Kampf is his favorite fucking book. One Mein of Kampf is his favorite book. Andrew Jackson is his favorite president. Can you imagine? Here's the thing. This is what – when they were about to – they were going to take Alexander Hamilton off the $10 bill because, like, nobody knew who he was until – I mean, like, he was starting to fade yeah. into obscurity a little bit as a founding father until Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> and so – but they want to put Harriet Tubman on money. And so they're like, the 10. And I was like – why are we not taking Andrew Jackson off the $20 bill? Because he was he is the literal worst. Andrew Jackson is the worst. He's such a dick. And he apparently, according to the dollop, he had like diarrhea all the time. Like he would constantly have to go to the toilet. And it was oh just, it's God. like his health was shitty, but he liked to pretend he was great. Like he would flat out lie and be like, your commander is back to full health when he he like couldn't use his arm and he was shitting himself. Sounds like someone else we know. Hmm. And it, I just was re-reminded because Trump does so much bullshit all the time that makes me mad. But listening to this, it reminds me that he put up a portrait of Andrew Jackson and then... <laughs> gave a speech to the Navajo code talkers right in front of the Andrew Jackson portrait and called fucking Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas in front of these people. And then I was like, but I like you. You seem like good people. I'm like, you're, you're, it boggles my mind sometimes how fucking stupid Trump is. (laughs) He's just the worst. There is a reason that... All you can do is laugh when you get so mad that I'm like, how did you... Did you not think of... Oh, no. Oh. All right. All right. Yeah, of course not. (laughs) Of course he didn't think because he doesn't actually give a shit. His brain doesn't work in a normal fashion. No. And the doctor who said that it does uh, came out and said, actually, I was lying about that. (laughs) Great. Cool. Oh, the reason the 18th was, yeah, was yeah. pertinent is, well, the Helsinki thing ties into this. Isn't that because, when he backtracked? Yeah, on the 18th is when he said, oh, I didn't mean to say. Um, I don't well, see any reason why it would be Russia. Yeah. 
I and meant to say I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. Which, first of all, that sentence makes no sense. Second of all, did people – if you look at the whole question in context and his whole answer, even if that was the sentence he meant to say – he continues on and is like, Trump very strongly denies it, and I believe him. Or Putin. See, now I'm conflating the two. <laughs> but anyway, I was just like, how can he th- How can he go, oh, I said one word wrong. And then everybody's, Fox News included, is all of a sudden like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, listen to his whole fucking answer. I know. Why, why do you just let him get away with this shit? Because that was like the first time. That even Fox News was like, this is shameful. And I think that's because Fox News is the only thing he watches where he's like, fine, I'll do something. But he, I liked, um, Pod Save America said he he looked like he was reading like a hostage note or something. Or he was like being oh forced. God. His brain doesn't work like a normal brain. His brain works like a five-year-old's brain. Yep. It's positive reinforcement training. <laughs> I take... I don't mm-hmm. mean to insult five-year-olds. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. Because generally, they tend to be smarter yeah. than our current president. I'm <sighs> still, I'm sorry. I still can't get over the fact that Mitt Romney and President Trump are basically the same age. <laughs> it's. Somebody who got better genes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say who. Yeah. But you know. I agree. And I do know. I just thought it was funny because it was like we were just talking about how people go fucking hog wild in, in summer. In July, yeah. And we talked about all the shitty things that happened on July 18th. And then sure enough, yep. here it all comes. So, yeah, I thought that was worth <coughs> giving a mention to. Yes, Kat. Hi. Okay. Let's move on to my lady. Tell me about your lady. It is the last lady in our July Women Who Resisted month. And I went a slightly less conventional route and that she wasn't like an active protester in any way or Ooh. anything like that. But her sort of story, the way she was, was kind of an act of resistance in the the way in the world that she was in and blah, 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 blah. I love it. Um, this one actually was a suggestion from my mom, so she's going to be super happy. <laughs> and as soon as I started looking into her, I was like, also, I feel like I should talk about her because it is summer in New York City. I know a lot of our listeners um, are in New York City, and you can go see her. Oh. As you will learn. Anyway, today uh, I'm going to talk to you about Audrey Munson. Okay. I don't know who that is. I didn't either. (laughs) Um, And I have a shitload of sources on this one, and I want to make sure I mention them before I get started because sometimes I forget, and there's a lot of, like, direct quoting in my stuff, and it feels unfair to not credit. Um, So, obviously, Wikipedia, um, the article that intrigued me, the one that I sent to Ben, is from artsy.net. I also Vogue, Vanity Fair, untappedcities.com. And there's a book that's out that we should link to in the show notes. It's called The Curse of Beauty by James Bone, which came out, I think, a couple years ago. Cool. So Audrey Munson. Here we go. Not many people know Audrey Munson by name, but if you spent any time in New York City, you've definitely seen her face. She reigns over New York City and across the United States. You may have passed her on the street many times, unbeknownst, for she was America's first supermodel. Oh. She is the second largest female figure in New York after the Statue of Liberty. Her gilded form stands 25 feet tall, holding a crown aloft as the symbol of the city atop the vast municipal building across the street from City Hall. So when we went to our protest, we totally saw her. Oh, my God. Um, She frolics in the Pulitzer Fountain outside the Plaza Hotel at the southeast entrance to Central Park. Her celebrated dimples on full display to the shoppers at the Apple Store. Every day, office workers tramp past her as the centerpiece of the main monument in Columbus Circle at the opposite corner of Central Park. She stands at the arch at the end of the Manhattan Bridge as the spirit of commerce, waving on commuters to their toll. She also once stood sentry at the Brooklyn entrance of the Manhattan Bridge as Miss Manhattan and Miss Brooklyn. But those colossal forms now flank the entrance to the Brooklyn Museum. Damn. Which we went to the fucking Brooklyn Museum that one time. Did we do that? No, we didn't. We've, that was me. We've been past it. Yeah. 
<sighs> Coffee's hitting me. Um, <laughs> Audrey is immortalized in stone at the New York Public Library and on the Frick Museum on Fifth Avenue. Holy shit. She is the reclining bronze figure of memory on the Strauss Memorial on the Upper West Side. She is the two grieving stone figures on the Fireman's Memorial on Riverside Drive. Wherever you go in New York City, Audrey is looking at you. I love that um, little opening. Uh huh. It continues because she's also in in across the the country, oh, damn. Um, across the nation from Florida to California. Audrey remains in our everyday lives. She stands as liberty and sapienta wisdom on the Wisconsin State Capitol. She can be seen as the nymphs on the James McMillan Memorial Fountain on the reservoir uh, in Washington, D.C. She was the model for Alan George Newman's monument to women of the Confederacy in Jacksonville, Florida, and for his peace monument in Piedmont Park in Atlanta, Georgia. She posed for the figure of Evangeline inscribed on the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Memorial in the Garden of the Poet's House by the Charles River in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <sighs> She's everywhere. Uh, she inspired three quarters of the statuary of Jewel City Belt in San Francisco for the 1915 World's Fair. A famous bronze of one of those statues called Descending Night was acquired by press baron William Randolph Hearst and now resides at Hearst Castle in San Simeon on the California coast. One of her surviving star maidens from the fair now stands in the courtyard of the Citigroup Center building in San Francisco. Damn. She is everywhere. All over the place. Yep. Like right. so many women of her time, Munson's star faded fast and hard, eclipsed by the male artists she worked with as model and muse. Mm. Even when she is remembered, it's often for the more scandalous and tragic events in her life, controversy around her nude modeling, her struggles with depression, rather than her essential role in the creative process and her work as an advocate for the rights of creative women. Mm. Yep. There were tragic aspects to her life, and that's a juicy story to tell, artist Andrea Geyer explained to Artsy. That's the Artsy article, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Geyer, whose practice is research-based and often focuses on the untold stories of women, <laughs> who should be our friend, um, made yeah. a series of photographs and collages inspired by her life. It was an attempt to rewrite her distorted, mostly forgotten legacy. Quote, it's also important to tell Munson's story with the agenda that she had in mind, one where she not only had agency, but also creative power. Mm. Da, da, da. Audrey Marie Munson was born in Rochester, New York on June 8th, 1891. Her parents, Edgar Munson and Catherine Kitty Mahaney, divorced when she was eight, setting off a life of financial struggle for Munson and her mother, who had sole custody of her daughter. It was really hard being a woman in that time if you didn't have a husband. Uh, Well, I keep thinking about, like, Josephine Baker Uh in that similar vein. Uh Oh, boy. Um, La, 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 la. Munson had dreams of supporting herself as an actress. Excuse me. Gas happens. (laughs) And between 1907 and 1909, both she and her mother both relocated to New York to pursue that goal. In 1909, she was 17, and she moved to New York with her mom, that's redundant, to become an actress and a chorus girl. She already was possessed with a limber figure and long bones. She was five foot eight, um, which is very tall back then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her features were perfectly symmetrical and sleek. A high brow, chiseled cheekbones, an almond jaw, whatever that means. What? And her perfectly straight neoclassical nose. Set like gemstones in her milky skin, she had questioning, slightly impertinent gray-blue eyes. Oh, my goodness. This is from the book. Uh, (laughs) That's why it's very flowery. Her first role on Broadway was as a footman in The Boy and the Girl at the Aerial Garden, which ran... footman? Footman. (laughs) Um, She also appeared in The Girl and the Wizard, Girlies, and La Belle Paris. Spelled P-A-R-E-E. Just so people know it's not Paris, it's Paris. Oh. <laughs> I was like, why are you rolling your eyes at me? Oh, I see. Uh, because people, Americans. <laughs> I'm the person who would have said, Paris. Well, whatever. Yes. I probably would have said it too, mm, frankly. So she's already like a, a chorus girl getting small bit parts or whatever. Yeah. She was apparently window shopping on Fifth Avenue with her mom and was spotted by photographer Felix Benedict Herzog, who asked her to pose for him. At his studio. Oh. Yep. That was that. Well, well, well. Knock, knock, knock. Opportunity. Uh, Herzog introduced her to his friends in the art world, and she began to pose for numerous art, numerous artists like sculptor Isidore Conti. Conti, though, had one non-negotiable request. 
he wanted Munson to pose nude for one of his sculptures, which is like a scandalous thing for an unmarried woman. Yes, sorry. To have to do. I know you're dealing with cat. Cat <laughs> almost bit me. Mm-hmm. Dick bag. So he wants her to pose nude. Oh. Uh-huh. Good. She, she's yeah, a teenager. And, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, his intentions, he insisted, were pure. Oh, yes. I insist. I insist. Oh, well, that's fine. To us, it makes no difference if our model is draped or clothed in furs, he claimed. We only see the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's could be said. I mean, you paint nude models. You, you know, do all this stuff. We'll see. Theoretically, they could be pure. Yeah. There's no record in my research that he assaulted her or anything because she clearly kept doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Fair. Um Munson's mother was eventually convinced of his intentions. And so he used her as his model for the three figures in his three graces for the new grand ballroom at the Hotel Astor in Times Square. She posed with the dramatic flair and sensitivity of an actress. And artists' interpretations of Munson began surfacing all over the city. You could find her likeness in the New York Public Library, blah, blah, blah. We already talked about all this shit. Uh, (laughs) According to The Sun in 1913, quote, over 100 artists agree that if the name of Miss Manhattan belongs to anyone in particular, it is to this young woman. Wow. Mm -hmm. She was a household name in the United States, lauded by many as both the, quote, American Venus and the perfect woman. Ooh. Newspapers ran her first-person tell-all articles to the delight of readers hungry for more insight into this great gutsy beauty. Damn. If the rumors are true, it would have been hard to find an American schoolboy circa 1915 who didn't (laughs) harbor a passionate crush on her. Mm -hmm. By 1915, when she was selected as the model for a large series of highly publicized works commissioned for the World's Fair in San Francisco, she was undoubtedly one of America's most recognizable figures. She posed for three-fifths of the sculptures created for the event. Whoa. Three-fifths? <laughs> of the sculptures. All of them. That's, I mean, I guess that's time-saving. Or like, I don't know. Maybe. Depends on how many sessions and how many artists. But <laughs> Budgetary. Yeah. But yeah. And so damn. she earned even more fame as the Panama Pacific girl. Okay. So that's both coasts now. Jeez. That she is. She's the Manhattan. She's Miss Manhattan Miss and Manhattan. Miss Panama Pacific. Um, Hollywood and Broadway began to take note and started producing blockbuster silent films and plays in which she acted as a version of herself, a bold model whose work was marked by both agency and artistry. They highlighted Munson's essential role as an active rather than a passive muse. That is, it's crazy to me that I have never heard this name. And especially... But you've seen her face. Like, have you thought about, like, I've never thought about... Never. The fact that there was a live model there. No, I never think about that. I for never those think. statues. And now you fucking will. Every time I see one, I will. Well, and, and if she was on, like, in movies and on Broadway, too, that's that's another... I mean, I don't know. I think that's crazy that I haven't even heard... Maybe I've heard her name Maybe at points, but... I definitely hadn't. I never think of it. Nope. Wow. Um, it's because her reputation kind of goes south later, so I think oh. that's... Yeah. Um, you'll see... In the first of her films, Inspiration, in 1915. Inspiration. Mm-hmm. That's appropriate. The story of a sculptor's model, she appeared fully nude mm. and was the first woman to do so in an American motion picture. Whoa. Yeah. All right. The censors were reluctant to ban the film, <laughs> fearing they would also have to ban Renaissance art. <laughs> Wait, what year was this, you 1915. said? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that they were like, well, it's not like she's having sex. It's not like she's prom- like frolicking in the nude. Yeah. You know, in, in, cause they had problems, I think with certain films where it was like naked girls and like splashing around in the water. Cause mm-hmm. they're like pornography, but this, she's literally just like posing for yeah. an artist. Yeah. Which is, that's pretty a, normal. So, and it's also, it's a non-sexual thing. Yeah. So they were like, well, it's art. So, and that's, you know, obviously the debate today is like, mm-hmm. when does, when does it become pornography? Fascinating. Um, quote, to pose nude for an artist in privacy was one thing, says writer Justin White, but to bring it to the masses was a courageous, perhaps even bold move on her part. Yeah. Munson's films were a box office success, although critics were always divided. Mm-hmm. The studio hired a lookalike named Jane Thomas to do her acting scenes. Well, she only did the scenes where she posed nude, which is weird to me because she moved to the city to be an actress and she clearly was an actress. 
But maybe she just but, wasn't a good one. I don't know. I, I just got a weird vibe that maybe it was that, like, they were like, we can't have this woman who we know what she looks like naked then be the actual woman that we hear see, like, we hear talking. Well, I guess it was silent, but who then is speaking. Crazy. I That's that's my inclination is to think that, like, because yeah. I don't think they really cared about good and bad acting at the time necessarily because it was silent movies and yeah. it was all about expressing. And clearly yeah. she was good at that. That's but I don't know so if it's like, it's like if once you've seen behind the curtain, she Bizarre. was no longer, it's like the naked woman couldn't actually be a real woman. Oh. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. Uh, la, 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 it's kind of sad because if she wanted to be an actor and now she's like not even allowed to do that to pr- like preserve this mm-hmm. this idea of her as a statue or yeah. as, a, as a muse is, yeah. I don't know, kind of sad. Yeah. Her second film, Purity, in 1916, made in Santa Barbara, California, is the only one of her films to survive, being rediscovered in 1993 in a pornography collection in France and was acquired by the French National Cinema Archive. Whoa. Yeah. Her third film, The Girl O' Dreams, also made in Santa Barbara, California, was completed by the fall of 1916, was copyrighted on December 31st, 1918, but appears to never have been released. Hmm. She is considered today to be something of a proto-feminist because, you know, that kind of thing wasn't – that feminism wasn't a label back then. Right. You had suffragettes and stuff. But which speaking of which, she once contributed $5 to the suffrage movement pushing to get women the right to vote, which was finally achieved in her heyday with the 19th Amendment in 1920. $5. Which $5 is a lot of money back That's then. pretty big chunk. Yeah. Um, she refused corsetry and high heels – believing that women's dress should be natural and practical. Good for her. By modeling nude and later appearing in American cinema's first non-pornographic nude scene, she struck an early blow against national prudishness. Hmm. Quote, That which is the immodesty of other women, she said, has been my virtue, my willingness that the world should gaze upon my figure unadorned. Hmm. I like that. Right? Uh, additionally, her unwillingness to be a silent partner in the artistic process manifested in other media, too. In 1921, she penned a series of 20 articles about her life and work for the popular magazine, The New York American, the, a Hearst publication. A, uh, da, 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 da. Her articles were collectively titled Across the Queen, nope, Across Queen of the Artist Studios. Uh, She also exposed salary discrepancies between women and men, as well as between female actresses and artist models. Hell yeah. And alluded to the inherent sexism of the art world in the early 1900s. And she emphasized the collaborative nature of the artistic process between the model and artist. That's like amazing. it's the two of them working together to create something. Yeah, it's instead not just of just me standing here. It's not silent. him suddenly going, I'm going to create art. It's like she is the art. <laughs> so yeah. it's a collaborative work between the two of them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Quote, in a successful play, the principal actors and actresses who contribute to its success are often given due praise. And such honors mean increases in salary and a step at least one notch higher on the road to fame and prosperity. Not so with the artist model, Munson wrote. She remains ever anonymous. She is the tool with which the artist works, though she provides the inspiration for a masterpiece and is the direct cause of enriching the painter or sculptor. She sounds very intelligent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's calling it like it is yeah. back then. She's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm like, I'm very successful in what I do, but my like pay rate hasn't really increased and, and nobody's giving me all the accolades right. for the work that I'm doing in this. Yeah. She because, sounds like ambitious in ways that obviously we were unaccustomed to women being at that time. Mm. And it so, of course, if you're just like painting a woman, you would expect that not to actually, you would expect her to. Not have anything to contribute or just to be silent right. and just stand there and pose. And I, it sounds to me like she's, you know, I mean, trying that, to, trying to make it, trying to like get people to realize that that's not all it is. If she is the woman being sculpted the most, she's clearly doing something. And yet it's always <laughs> the sculptor who's getting the praise, even though the sculptor changes. <coughs> 
But her figure remains the same. Right. If she wasn't doing something that is more special. That's magical. That's magical than other models or muses or whatever, then they wouldn't use her so fucking often. Right. They could use any old woman. Yeah. They could just, yeah, they could pick someone up off the street. I right. guess that's what they did with her. Someone did that with her. But sort of, but she, that she gets she had aspirations to yeah, she, be a creative. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like if she didn't have something specific that made her Yeah, I don't know. Magical is a good word. Yeah. She had that je ne sais quoi. That X factor, that as X it were. X factor. Um blah blah blah. For some the chance to have an image survive into posterity seemed like it should have been enough. To Norman Rose, who interviewed Munson during her heyday, she was a slender, graceful girl who will live in marble and bronze and canvas in the art centers of the world long, long after she and everyone else of this generation shall have become dust. But Munson, in her own account, seemed to predict a different future. Quote, Where is she now, this model who was so beautiful? What has been her reward? Is she happy and prosperous, or is she sad and forlorn with her beauty gone, leaving only memories in the wake? Mm. Oof. Uh, At some point, she returned to the East Coast because she was doing movies out in California. Uh, She became involved with high society in New York and Newport, Rhode Island. Her mother wanted her to get married and insisted that she marry Comstock, Lode, Silver Heir, Herman Ulrichs Jr., Mm. Then the richest bachelor in America. <laughs> I insist you marry this rich bachelor. Just because he's rich, you'll be happy. Just because he's rich. Even though you've got a job that's, I mean, clearly you're not being compensated maybe as well as you should be, but you're able to take care of yourself and your mother. Yep. Um, excuse me, I have to cough. <coughs> <laughs> All right. Um, on January 27th, 1919, she wrote a rambling letter to the U.S. State Department denouncing Herman Ulrichs Jr., as part of a pro-German network that had driven her out of the movie business. She said that she planned to abandon the U.S. to restart her movie career in England. Okay. So I don't know if if that was right or whatever, but clearly she, again, wasn't going to do what people expected of her and was like, actually, no, and he's a piece of shit. Yep. Wow. And, And it sounds like he kind of blackmailed her out of... The film industry somehow. Oh, my God. I want to know more but about there, that. There wasn't a whole lot else Damn. to be said there. Um, Wait, and what year was that, did you say? 1919. Ooh, that's kind of a pivotal time, too. Yeah. For German relations with other countries. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Damn, I'm going to see if there's... Well, maybe in that book. Probably. I really want to read the book yeah. now. It sounds really good. Yeah. Um, do. So also at that time, uh, she was living with her mom in a boarding house in Manhattan, which was owned by a man named Dr. Walter Wilkins. And I think it was Wikipedia. Wikipedia phrases it, Wilkins fell in love with Munson and then continues that sentence and says, and murdered his wife, Julia, so he could be available for marriage. <gasps> I was like, that's not falling in love with someone, Wikipedia. That's becoming obsessed with someone and becoming a creepy stalker. So this, so I was like, that's some bullshit. I hate that romanticizing when men are being creepy. So I wanted to point that out. I, I, I put it in awesome. quotes. Wilkins fell in love with her. Fuck you. No, he didn't. That's like um, that article that I read. Was it? Was it not? last week, or maybe it was last week, where they talked about um, the Hitler's girlfriend being attacked. Yeah. Quote, unquote, because she wasn't allowed to go to restaurants and bars that right. people didn't want her there, you know, and, and they called it an attack on her. Yeah. It's like, the, it is interesting when we look at these these people in these It articles. slightly softens uh-huh. the man's image. Yeah. And then it, it like, hardens, uh, you know, the language that gets used is very specific and intentional. It's so weird. I hated that it said that he fell in love with her. Yeah. So I just want to point that out. Good for you. This man became obsessed with her and murdered his wife because he thought. Yeah. Because then he was like, now we can get buried because oh that's romantic. Jesus Christ. So... Audrey and her mom left New York after that (laughs) because it's like scandalous, obviously. And the police were after them to try and question them about 
what happened here? Oh my god. What did you do to lead him on that would make him so crazy you that he would kill him fall in love with that you. he killed his wife? Were you and do like they thought she was maybe conspiring with him, blah blah blah. Anyway, it was a nationwide hunt. Hey. They were located, they refused to return to New York, but they were questioned. Um the contents of the oh affidavits they supplied have never been revealed, but Audrey strongly denied that she ever had any romantic relationship to Dr. Wilkins. Um, so, but, you know, of course, even today, th- there's no way people wouldn't be like, well, but did you lead him right. on somehow? Did you wear a short skirt around him one time? He's seen you naked. Mm-hmm. Like, who isn't going to fall in love with that? Yeah. That's kind of your fault because you're a, you, you walk around naked for your job. So in a way, you're kind of responsible for this woman's death. Yeah. Anyway, Wilkins was tried, found guilty, and sentenced to the electric chair. Um, but Jay, he good. hanged himself in his prison cell before he could be murdered. Yeah. Gross. Murdered. Killed. Executed. <laughs> by ele- I would be not want to die by electric chair, so frankly, I don't blame him. But um, Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> that sounds like a real terrible way to go. Um, <laughs> really, really do. unethical. Uh, I mean... The number I think of times they lethal get injection the, is probably the best way. Yeah, but the number of times they get it wrong, like the number of ways they get it wrong, makes it actually, for a lot of people, kind of a horrific process. Ted Bundy died by electric chair, didn't he? I think he did. I think you are correct. Which, good. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> He's allowed to die a really horrible death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy, of course, he murdered one woman, but Ted Bundy murdered a shitload of women, <laughs> and horribly, horribly, horribly so. Back to the task at hand. Um, There was another incident which took place in 1922 and bears a striking resemblance to recent stories that have emerged in the wake of the Me Too movement. Uh Uh-oh. In Munson's telling, which is the one that I am apt to believe, a powerful Broadway producer, whom she never named, entered her dressing room during the production of a play called The Fashion Show. He made sexual advances on her, to which, as she later recalled, she boldly rebuffed, quote, don't touch me. I hate you. Your touch is repulsive to me. I would rather have a snake crawl over me than to feel your hand on me. Wow. Which sounds like a very uh, vehement no. Yep, yep. Yes, it is. (laughs) And of course, he did not react very well. And a few days later, she was told without explanation that her play was closing. And after that, she struggled to find work. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So she had two things in a row. People were blaming her for this man murdering his wife. And then this Broadway producer completely blacklisted her because she didn't fuck him, which is gross um, on so many levels. So because she was struggling to find work, uh, she... on God damn it. That pisses me and, off. Right? Uh, on May 27th, 1922, she attempted suicide Aww. by swallowing a solution of bichloride of mercury, which sounds terrible. Oh, my God. Um, by that point, modeling requests and film roles had begun to slow, mostly as a result of the previous two scandals in her life, and they irreparably damaged her reputation. Thanks, men. Yeah. Um, and after that as well, I mean, obviously um, – you have to be in a pretty dark place to attempt suicide. But uh, yeah. she also battled with apparent mental illness. I don't exactly know. Because at this time, you know, it was like, oh, women are crazy. Just, you know. Yeah. Hysteria was, I think, st- even now still kind of I like- mean, it does sound like she uh, struggled with some mental health things. Clearly, um, depression and allegedly some schizophrenia. But- um, but of course, those things are triggered when your life gets to a dark place. Like I've seen people who, you know, struggle with mental illness, but when their life is going fine, they're able to manage it a lot better. And it sounds like because her career was just like drying is it, up. For is it n- possible that any of those things were rumors started by could be like people who could be wanted in like this fucking producer who wanted in her pants and she said Fuck maybe you. maybe um but i mean frankly it 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 says it's her fall from grace was not terribly pretty um she became more self-aggrandizing as her mental state deteriorated uh she would claim bogus connections to european aristocracy and she started calling herself baroness audrey mary munson munson uh, many oh. of her troubles she blamed on jews 
going so far as to petition the U.S. House of Representatives to pass a bill that would protect her from being, quote, persecuted by the Hebrews. What the fuck? That's what I'm saying. It's like if you have mental health problems and then your life starts going terribly, it just feeds on itself. I feel, you know? Yes. Um, At least mine do. Yeah. Um, Yep. Apparently, all her life, she was haunted by the words of a gypsy fortune teller. She's very Cersei Lannister. Um, (laughs) Also, gypsy fortune teller. This must be an old article. Yeah. (laughs) Because that is definitely a slur. Yeah. Um, Anyway, apologies for that, but I am reading from a piece of paper. Uh, Who read her palm when she was just five years old, and issued this charming prophecy. Quote, You shall be beloved and famous, but when you think that happiness is yours, its Dead Sea fruit shall turn to ashes in your mouth. You who shall throw away thousands of dollars as a caprice shall want for a penny. You who shall mock at love shall seek love without finding. Seven men shall love you. Seven times you shall be led by the man who loves you to the steps of the altar, but never shall you wed. And so her whole life, she was very haunted by all of this. Um, That's biblical, man. But like the main thing is like, you'll never be happy. You'll be on the cusp of it. And then it'll all fall away from you, which it kind of did. Yeah. Um, On June 8th, 1931, her mother petitioned a judge to commit her to a lunatic asylum. Oh. The Oswego County judge ordered Munson be admitted into a psychiatric facility for treatment. She was 40 when she was admitted. God, that's not that's old at no. all. No, and just wait. Oh. Um, she remained in the St. Lawrence State Hospital for the Insane in Ogdensburg, where she was treated for depression and schizophrenia. One of the artists who sculpted her, this is a little backtrack, uh, told Munson that one of her, quote, most desired features, her back dimples, should be protected at all costs. Quote, guard those dimples, my girl, he said. And if you ever see them going, cut out the apple pie. I don't know what that means. But she never forgot this advice because a nurse who bathed her in the asylum when she was in her 90s recounts, I was giving her a sponge bath and she says, Audrey, you have dimples in your back. And Audrey replies, yes, they're very precious. I can't lose my dimples. For decades, she had no visitors at all. Which is not even not even her family. No. But she was rediscovered in the asylum by a half-niece, Darlene Bradley, in 1984, when she was 93 years old. Wow. She died February 20th, 1996, at the age of 104. In the asylum? Yes. She was in the asylum for 64 years. Yeah. As she predicted, it would be years until she was recognized for her unique contributions by historians and artists. After she died, she was buried in an unmarked grave. What? An ironic end to the life of a woman rendered all over the United States in stone and gold. She was buried without a gravestone of her own in the Munson family plot in New Haven Cemetery, New Haven, New York, until 2016. (gasps) 20 years after her death, when her family finally decided to add a simple tombstone for what would have been her 125th birthday. I cannot believe that her reputation was damaged to the point where her family didn't even give a shit about remembering her. It's insane to me that she would be, that that somebody knew enough to put her in the family plot, mm-hmm. but didn't bother giving her a fucking tombstone. Even though she was locked up for 64 years. That's so fucked up to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. They're certainly not, you know, forgiving or or amenable. To, you know, like mental illness is not something that you should like be ashamed of. Like, oh, that's crazy, Aunt Audrey. Like, take care of your fucking family. Anyway, um, the woman who the artist who did I say uh, from the artsy article. Oh, oh, my God. I'm not remembering her name, and I'm, I'm going crazy. Um, anyway, this is her quote at the end. <laughs> um, she not only stood up for her own rights, but she also became an activist and organizer fighting for the recognition of other women. For that and for many other achievements, she deserves to be remembered by name, not just her face, which everybody sees in New York City on a daily basis. And yep. now we know her fucking name. 
Audrey Munson. Wow. God. It's weird, right? Like, her story is yeah. very... Well, it's so... It feels like... I mean, some. it feels like something that someone would make a fucking, like, Oscar bait movie. You would think. Out of, because it's so, it's so on the nose, this idea that we see her everywhere, and yet she was buried in an, un- like, her name and what she had to say was so unimportant that she was filed away in an asylum for 60 years and then buried with no name at all. Mm-hmm. Here's a picture of her with a kitty. <laughs> oh. Is she beautiful? God. Yeah. I- yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go look we at, should go, at everything. We should go on a field trip. Wow. And go cuz she's I've seen her. And we, she is beautiful. I mean, yeah. And she has such lovely hair, my goodness. Yeah. She does. It's that nose is so Neoclassicism was a very big thing that and when all these statues were getting made. Like it's crazy to me that almost wow. it seems like almost every single statue in New York City of a random because when you have a statue of a man, it's because he did something important and he's yeah. a person who you should know his name. But when it it seems like you know at this era in this era anyway, when you're doing a statue of a woman, it's because she's just supposed to be like uh, a paradigm of of like grace and beauty, and she's supposed to represent something that's not herself. Right. There's a reason that 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 one artist used her for all three fates, right? Mm-hmm. Or furies, which. Something. Which, yeah. I mean, because the point is not the actual face, but that the face represents beauty and elegance and the fucking, yeah. Nose. And she had, she, I mean, but what's funny too is that you look at her body and yes, she has a very beautiful form, Mm -hmm. but it's like a, she still looks like a normal woman. I don't know. You can see in some photographs, like she has cellulite on her thighs and it's Mm -hmm. like, ugh. She she was considered the perfect woman and the paragon of beauty at the time. Yep. And she like she was slender, sure, but not like well, that's stick, before, stick slender. Yeah, that's before heroin chic became well, that was like, you know our fucking thing. Anyway, yeah. growing yeah. up in the nineties was a, it destroyed Ugh. my self confidence <laughs> as a person who's not naturally very thin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me neither. Good God. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look like a normal person. I look like a yeah. I've I look like a curvy normal person. We both look like normal people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we both look like normal people. That's the stupid part. That's the point. But that's Audrey Munson. Girl, that was awesome. Thank you, and thanks, Mom. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> she just sent me an email that said, Good Witch! <laughs> and it had the artsy article. And because my mom's an artist, so obviously she was like, Hey, thank thank you. Yeah. To, for, you know, standing up for creative women in, in the creative process. Yeah. Well, and clear, and like making it obvious that that these women that, get painted or made into sculptures or whatever, that they're not just, like, silent, you know. Which they even were in Audrey's time. They were. Yeah. But she wasn't, and that's what made her special. And, and that's yet why her she's legacy, everywhere. And yet her legacy is still forgotten. Because, pe- yeah, I mean, clearly she, people can't, couldn't handle that at the time. And then, of course, you know, she turned out to be crazy, so oh, everything that she said and stood for when she was not acting crazy, <laughs> still crazy, right? <laughs> women. Women. Wanting that vote. Fuck those women. <laughs> oh, well, she was awesome. Goodness. She was, she's a very interesting woman, and I they should make a fucking movie about her. Yeah, good God. I mean, that's, I think of, I think of, like any Angelina Jolie, you know, movie about historical female figures. And right. that's the kind of movie I feel like will be made about her at some point. Someone right. will do it. Well, we were talking about how there's all sorts of movies being made now that are inspired by true stories. And they're stories about women fucking finally. Yeah, man. It's because of our podcast, obviously. Duh. A day. A day. You want to hear some history? <laughs> More history? Yes. On this day in history. Give me some on this day. There's a number of things. Um, one of them I was very excited about. Ooh. It was a birth. <laughs> You're going to be excited as well. Oh, good. Nah, 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 nah. Um, so July 25th is the day this episode will drop. Uh, 1554, Mary I marries Philip II of Spain at Winchester Cathedral. Mary I was Bloody Mary. Oh. 
1755, British Governor Charles Lawrence and the Nova Scotia Council ordered the deportation of the Acadians. Ooh, who's that? Who's the, the Acadians. Uh, I feel like I know this. In French, Acadien has been bastardized now to Cajun. So it's French Canadians who were kicked out in 1755 and they went to Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's why it's familiar. I thought that was so cool to learn that that was July 25th. Uh, 1788, Mozart completes Symphony No. 40 in G minor. Good for you, Mozart. Yep. Um, 1861. This is an interesting tidbit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the U.S. Civil War, of course. The U.S. Congress, so the Union, passes the Crittenden-Johnson Resolution, which states that the war is being fought to preserve the Union Hmm. and not to end slavery. (laughs) Significant, interesting little thing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to delve into that Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, 1969, July 25th, Vietnam War. President Nixon declares the Nixon Doctrine, stating that the United States now expects its Asian allies to take care of their own military defense. This is the start of the Vietnamization of the war. Okay. Yeah. Another piece of shit, President. Thanks, Nixon. Uh, 1978, July 25th. Birth of Louise Joy Brown, the first human to have been born after conception by in vitro fertilization. Whoa. Which is fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. What year was that? 78. Wow. I didn't realize it was that early, I guess. I was going to say, it feels like. I mean, it must have been much more expensive back then and much less common, obviously. Yeah. But. And much more experimental. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, So some more births. 1806, July 25th, Maria Weston Chapman, American abolitionist. Mm. Nice. Um, Nice. July 25th, 1920, our good old friend Rosalind Franklin was born. Rosie! So happy birthday, Rosalind Franklin. Happy birthday, Rosalind Franklin. For anyone who didn't listen to that episode, she... It's like episode five. Yeah, something like that. She discovered the shape of the double helix. And didn't get credit for it until like the 90s. <laughs> anyone know what Watson and Crick discovered? Rosalind Franklin's notes. <laughs> Ba-boom. That will live on forever. Uh, July 25th, 1959, Iman was born. Somalian English model and actress, David Bowie's widow. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. In 1967, Matt LeBlanc. It's Matt LeBlanc's birthday. Very happy, important. Happy birthday, Matty LeBlanc. <laughs> um, or Joey. If and you watch one Friends. death to bring up. 1984, Big Mama Thornton died on July 25th. Um, Who that? She's an American singer, Big Mama. Oh. She's like the first person to, like, Hound Dog is her song. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which Hound Dog makes so much more sense when it's uh-huh. being sung by a woman than it does by, not to to, to shit on Elvis, but like, because I love. his song. It's not his song. But, and I love his version of it, but like, it was Big Mama Thornton's yeah. song. And she died uh, today uh, in 1984. Wow. R.I.P. Big Mama. So there you have it. What is in my coffee? Uh, Bugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It is. It's a little bug. It's a a fruit fruit fly. fly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry, little dude. You drowned, but you drowned caffeinated. (laughs) I hope it was a good one. I hope you felt zippy. Mm -hmm. Rips. Mm -hmm. Rips, little fruit fly. (laughs) Um, On this day. (laughs) (laughs) It was probably only alive for a few hours anyway. It was was born and died today. Mm -hmm. Anyway. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> you did it. I did a lot. You got through it. I did the most. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Do you? Uh, what are you excited about this um, week? I'm excited about uh, cool movies coming out. <laughs> I watched a lot of trailers this week, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so they're even though technically they're not out yet, I am excited because these are movies that are going to exist. Yep. Uh, the first one is The Favorite which I think I shared that trailer with you, but it has Rachel Weiss and it's by the same people who did oh, The oh, Lobster. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. It's and a period piece. It's a period piece, a women-centric you know, period piece. Um, and then the other one is Colette, 
which yes. is a person who I definitely want us to do on this podcast at some point. You should. Um, but Kira Knightley is playing Colette, and she's basically a writer whose husband took credit for her work. And she allowed him for a long time, and then... You know, because he used it sounds like he used ghostwriters, male and female, for a while. But her book that she wrote found incredible success for her husband. Yes, and it was based a lot on her life, her own life. But because, like, because, and we've talked about this, I think, uh, multiple times, but like, women don't can't. I, I don't know. Pe- women don't get credit for for shit in the same ways as men. Mm-hmm. People love it when men do shit, and so you know, she was like, <laughs> "Fine, husband, you can take my name because nobody no will read is going to publish this if I do it, and no one will read it if I do it. But if you do it, it'll be fine." And then, yeah, and so the movie is about her, and it also seems too like it's about the the, the thought where men realize that women were consumers of stuff. Because her, the book found a lot of female readers. Yes. And they're like, oh, we can sell shit to women too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. They like reading things. Weird. And she had some some relationships with other men's wives and <laughs> it's very just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited about it because obviously I think we need to start telling more of those stories. Like I would prefer we stop recycling the same stories over and over and over again about, you know, the same white dude doing the same thing and start telling more stories like this because we don't do that. So. It looks awesome. Yeah, that one looks awesome too. Yeah. And on the basis of sex. Wait, which one's that one? The Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie with Felicity Jones and Army Hammer. Yes. That looks fucking great. I like tear up every time I watch that trailer and I'm like, I'm not going to make it through this. (laughs) No, it's going to be so hard. It looks so good. Oh God, it looks so good. Yeah. I showed it it to Ben this morning and he also teared up watching it. Oh, Benji. Oh. Ah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, there's a lot of fucking great movies yeah, that are going to be coming out. And I'm just stoked about it. So I also realized that there are three movies out right now that I worked on. Oh, really? Yeah. So Mamma Mia 2. Mamma Mia 2, Skyscraper, mm. and uh, Ant-Man and the Ant-Man. Wasp. Ant-Man! Yeah. And I was like, whoa, yes. there's a lot. Before, yeah. before we sign out... Um, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. And if you've got corrections for us and whatnot, because we are we are oh, not we're all over the place. Scholars, obviously, we there are lots of things we don't know that we probably <laughs> should know. And we talk about like we do know. And we talk about like we do know. Oh yeah, speaking of corrections, <laughs> <laughs> we had um, a, a newer listener uh, DM'd us on Twitter, and she's like, "You do know like C.J. Walker was a woman, right?" And we talked about C.J. Walker in our very first episode when we did Queenie. Uh huh. Um, and I said he. And C.J. Walker was um, was a woman, and let me. I'm just gonna pull up her uh, what she what she said because she had a cool little tidbit. Um, Clearly, we did not know. Well, and it's funny because when I think about C.J. Walker outside of the context of that story, I'm like, well, obviously she was a woman, but for some reason I didn't. It didn't click when you're click talking about when I was talking about them. So, um, so she said, let's see. She said, not to be a tool, and you are not a tool, um, dear, dear listener. Um, She's, well, I won't, I won't say her name just in case, but um, she said, you probably already know this, but a quick, a quick fact check on episode one, CJ Walker was a lady and a badass one too. She was one of the first female millionaires and one of the only ones of color with her cosmetics empire. It's still in stores at Sephora too. And the fact that she made cosmetics specifically for other women of color is super notable. <laughs> Not being a jag, just letting y'all know there's a badass woman No, that's there. fucking great. And I was like, holy shit. I can't, A, I can't believe that. That I made that mistake, but also I love that that she knew that and reached out to us to tell us that. For sure. So if you ever hear anything that needs correcting and you want to get in touch with us, you can DM us on Twitter, obviously, or you can email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Fuck yeah. That is, um, yeah, we are super open to that. So please do that if you if you're feeling feeling the itch. Um, feeling the desire. <laughs> feeling the urge. Otherwise, I think that kind of 
covers it. Covers it. All right. So until next week, everybody. Peace out, witches. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. (laughs) You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pine. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.